Friday the 16th of December. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines. COP15 is in full swing in Montreal. The Oireachtas Climate Committee on Climate Change looks at the role of the media. Could a new technology save the planet? And a new report shows that Ireland's emissions went up in 2021 and again in 2022. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn. 2022 is nearing its end and so is the third season of the Climate Alarm Clock. We are struggling over the finish line and I am just joined today by... No, that's not fair, not just joined. And and I am joined today for our news roundup by Anna Pringle. Anna, how are you keeping? Hi, Dara. I feel like I'm the last person standing here. It's uh, between you last week and Kira this week. The, everybody's just dropping like flies around me. Yeah, so Kira's sick this week. I uh, COVID finally caught up with me last week. So thanks a million, Anna, for standing in and putting together like a clip show. I feel like we're one of those sitcoms that when it gets to about their fifth or sixth <laughs> season and they're running out of ideas, they're like, okay, let's just show clips. Of the stuff we've done. Next in the thing we we'll have to do a mu- we we'll have to do a musical <laughs> show next. <laughs> and the and the, out, um, and the outtakes. Yeah, well, but you know what, Dara? It was actually it was fun to do it, and I realised that we have so much good content over the course of the last year. So, for any listeners who haven't listened to some of our earlier interviews and different things, we've got just a lot of just nice content out there. Yeah, I mean. It's lovely how many great people there are in the environmental movement in Ireland, you know, and also people who are just obliging and and happy to speak with us who, you know, they don't know us from Adam and they're like, yeah, absolutely. Um, Which has been a lovely, lovely part of of this podcast. Um, And so the reason that you picked out all those biodiversity clips, Anna, was because COP15 is going on at the moment. So we were all talking about COP27 uh, for most of the start of this season. And now we're talking about COP15, which is a different COP, which is looking at biodiversity. We don't make it easy, do we, with all the cops? I can, if Kira was here, Kira's at home in her sick bed right now, tearing her hair out listening to that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one of these things that it's almost problematic in itself that all these issues have been, that climate and biodiversity have been separated. But this is a similar conference that's trying to make a global agreement on biodiversity. So they're trying to adopt what's been called the GBF, the Global Biodiversity Framework. So what are some of the highlights for you, Dara? What have you been looking at on that? So the big thing that's been talked about is 30 by 30. So that's that 30% of land and ocean will be conserved by the end of the decade, by 2030. And I guess that's sort of trying to be like the equivalent of the 1.5 degree target when it comes to warming. It's sort of trying to be this catchy um this catchy thing that you, that people can get behind and rally behind and work towards so there's a lot a lot of talk about that and there's some controversy in that uh, particularly when it comes to indigenous communities um sorry dara before you get into the indigenous aspect of it which i think is really important how i mean so 30 by 30 so 30% of nature preserved by 2030. What percentage of nature is preserved today? 
I mean, what's that? What's the base that they're building on? I don't. I don't <laughs> know, and I don't know. What uh, do you, do you know? Oh, well, I don't, but I have seen Elizabeth Colbert, who's a really good um, climate reporter and writer, and she has said that we've actually failed to set aside seventeen percent of our lands for conservation. So she's questioning whether saying thirty percent over the next eight years makes any sense when, when the more modest goals haven't been achieved. Yeah, and I guess this is one of the, I guess this is one of the problems with biodiversity is it's a lot not that we're meeting our climate targets but there are a lot more it's a lot more complex it's a lot harder to measure um so when it comes to this 30 by 30 there's a lot of controversy over indigenous lands in particular um because in some instances where land has been designated to being conserved, indigenous peoples have been actually kicked off the land, where they have actually, up until that point, p- played a really important conservation role. Um, and an interesting stat that I saw flying around as part of all this discourse is that uh, only 5% of the world's population will be regarded as indigenous, but they protect 80% of the world's biodiversity. And especially with COP15 happening in Montreal in Canada, where they are kind of coming to terms with their own past and the way indigenous communities have been uh, mistreated, uh, to say the least, that it, that it is sort of uh, coming to the fore in these discussions. I mean, it's, it's actually something that it bothers me a lot. It's like that you can't take the people out of the landscape. You have to look at how people are living in the landscape and, and the role they're playing in helping to conserve it. And it's such a such a colonial mindset to say we have to protect it from all the people. You know, it's no, we have to figure out how to conserve while there are people living there still. It's that the like indigenous communities have lived for thousands of years that way. Like as part of nature, like connected to nature, the way that people in uh, post-colonial society are not connected to nature. Uh, Some of the other things then that are being looked at are plastic pollution, invasive species, nature restoration, so as well as protecting areas, actually restoring degraded um, ecosystems um, through rewilding, uh, stuff like that. And then the big one is finance and government subsidies. Um, that is a big, big part of it, that the amount of money that's needed to protect biodiversity is just not being provided. Um, so estimates are that $384 billion per year will be needed by 2025, and currently less than half of that is is being made available. And where have we heard that before, Dara? <laughs> no, I mean, it might well, yeah, but you know, it, this might be COP15, but if you go if you rewind to COP27 and the climate issues, a big part of the issue there as well was the funding that had been agreed wasn't being spent or wasn't being delivered. Yeah. Yeah, and so as we are recording this, we've actually there's sort of breaking news that developing 
nations have actually walked out on talks because of uh, disagreements over funding. Yeah, there's an impasse over the biodiversity funds. And, you know, this always seems to happen, though, halfway through the week, they go, oh, the talks are on the brink of collapse and maybe they'll pull something out of the hat over the weekend. Um, But it does look like there's a pretty serious um, issue from the developing country's point of view about the the negotiations on funding. They're just not seeing what they need there. Uh, One, one, uh, I guess, surprising speaker to some at COP15 um, on Wednesday was James Cromwell, who you might know from Succession or from Babe, the The farmer farmer in in Babe. Babe. That's right, I've forgotten about that role. Is a big, big activist, big environmental activist. And he was actually really laying down the gauntlet as part of a petition on a vase that 3.5 million people have signed. He was presenting that petition that was asking not for 30% of the planet to be conserved, but for 50%. So saying that we need more space for nature on Earth than even the 30%. And how is that received? I saw Porik Fogarty from the Irish Wildlife Trust on Twitter had put up a post about it and he said that it, it cr- had created a bit, of a, a bit of a buzz that it had been quite subdued a cop up until that point, but that really got uh, a bit of a bit of life into it all. Good, um, and it's interesting that the the petition and and James Cromwell, what they're saying also back to what we just said about the indigenous people, they're saying that it has to take into consideration the needs of human development too, and have the active support and leadership of indigenous peoples. So they they made that very explicit. Yeah, so that's a good note. So we'll move on to our next story then. Yes, so we were going to take a look at the Oireachtas Committee on Climate Change. So they were meeting this week. And um, for those who don't know what that is, it's basically, it's a committee, members of the Oireachtas, senators and TDs from all different parties who their focus is on climate change and they get together quite often and look at different topics around climate change. So... Leading into the Climate Action Bill, the Oireachtas Committee had a big impact on that. At what they're looking at at the moment, and this is their third meeting on this topic, is a topic close to our hearts, Dara. They are looking at the role of the media in climate change and in communicating climate change. So there are some interesting things coming out of there this week. Yeah, and I guess the two main things were, one was looking at RTE's coverage and the other was talking about advertising. Yeah, and two things that are not unconnected, as we will see. Um, so on t- in terms of advertising, there was some research, the, the, a group called the Purpose Disruptors, who are people working in the advertising and marketing industry who are trying to push the industry from within to take responsibility for the emissions that they're promoting. Um, and you know, a really good group. They've done some research, now it's research based in England, but still they've done some research um, that has shown that advertising increases the public's carbon footprint by almost a third. And it does that by encouraging extra consumption. Now, I know plenty of people who work in advertising who would love to be able to say that they're increasing consumption by a third because it shows it shows their clients that they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, but the fact that it also increases the carbon footprint by that much is a bit of a problem yeah yeah i mean it it's i yeah i haven't i haven't seen the study i i wonder how it's done but i 
no, I don't disbelieve it. Like it's, uh, yeah, when you see ads for things like you know cheap cheap uh, flights, cheap weekends away flights, that kind of thing. Um, well, it's, I mean, look at, at this time of year, it's all about consumption. It's yeah. all about consumption. And actually, it'd be interesting to know from an advertising point of view as well, if you think about data centers, for example, and Amazon, Google, etc., they are all driven by advertising. So I wonder what how, what percentage of data center emissions or electricity consumption are driven by advertising as well. I bet it's very high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's one of those things that when we've asked people, when we've had Daniel Murray on the podcast, we don't know. We don't yeah. know what's going on in the data centers, but based, he said, based on business plans of of companies like Google, like Amazon, that a lot of it is is um, is examining data with a view for targeted advertising. So yeah, um, to encourage extra consumption. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then so RTE were also uh, Tara Peterman from RTE was in uh, discussing RTE's climate coverage as well. Yeah, so Tara Peterman is RTE's executive producer of climate change coverage. And she came in to talk to the Oireachtas Committee to explain how RTE is covering climate. And you know, she's now saying that it's now an embedded part of our programming. And to be fair to RTE, they have upped their game a lot. Even since we started this podcast, they've upped their game. So there, she's now saying that we're doing so much that climate change is embedded in how we do our programming. I think that is a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with you there, Anna. And uh, and what Green Party TD Brian Ledden, who's the chair of the Oireachtas Climate Committee, what he said was that some of these programs have a tendency to polarize and divide yes. in their treatment of the issue so that it's trying to create this conflict, getting people in um, with opposing views and trying to sort of create that conflict that isn't, um, that's not conducive to actually uh, informing the public about climate action, I would say. Yeah, and, and, and Tara Peterman said, well, we need to reflect views as they're present in Irish society. But, you know, arguably they are over-reflecting views that are not representative. But also, like, okay, you need to reflect people's views. But if people's views are wrong, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if I said, yeah. like, if I started going around saying the sky is green, you know, and if I got a yeah. thousand people to say that, or a hundred thousand people to say that, that that view is present in society. Or right. you don't have to reflect that because it's wrong. No, they and can they can do a fact yeah, check. Yeah, yeah, but that yeah, yeah. So so that would be so. Yeah, I I found that we need to reflect views as they are present in Irish society. It's like if views are factually incorrect, and often people, particularly I would say on Joe Tuffy. Um, yeah. have views that are just totally incorrect, then RTE do not need to platform those. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, Peter Woods, who's the head of RTE Radio 1, he said that their starting point is to not create false equivalents, but I, I hope they will start to get better at that, but I, you know, I think they haven't got there yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then, so the other thing that came up, uh, Jennifer Whitmore, uh, the Social Democrats TD, started asking about advertising and fossil fuel advertising that RTE has a lot of 
polluting companies sponsor yep. a lot of it be it car companies be it dairy companies be it boiler uh makers that yep. uh so that was something that they were asked about as well and yes and their response to that was a little bit of a you know washing their hands of it really um so it was the programming side that was in to talk to the committee and they responded and said, well, that's not something we're equipped to answer because we're the content side and the commercial side is very much apart and separate from us. So I know you weren't happy with that answer. Yeah, Dara. so I'm going to take a quote from the Dublin Inquirer. So the Dublin Inquirer are a newspaper, an independent newspaper up in Dublin uh, that they run entirely based on subscriptions subscriptions yeah so they've no advertisers and it's independent local journalism at its finest and they said recently on twitter we're not here to attract your attention and sell it to advertisers or gather your data and sell that on we're here to do the best journalism we can and hope people will subscribe so we can keep doing more and then they finished with a news organization's business model shapes its journalism mm-hmm. so a news organization's business model shapes its journalism. RTE's business model involves having a lot of polluting <laughs> industries sponsoring them. Does that shape their journalism? Um, but even if it doesn't shape the journalism, if you give them a lot of credit and say, no, the journalists are completely objective, even if it doesn't shape the journalism, it's still sits side by side with the journalism and undermines the impact. Yeah, yeah, total mixed messaging. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a way to go there. Um, And maybe the Oireachtas Committee needs to get the commercial side of RTE in to ask them about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But no, I mean, I I do think on the whole, RTE is doing a lot more on climate than it was. Even, as you say, when we started this podcast... Uh, 15, 16 months ago but it's still so, so far off what it needs to be Completely Completely and and it still does operate it's still more interested in creating arguments for the sake of getting listeners and, it's, and, and in the political debate and argument as opposed to in really going into the content in depth yeah and and my other yeah my my other observation would be it creates more fear about climate action than it does about climate change <laughs> that is a great point Dara. you know what i mean like we should be scared about climate change it is terrifying but we never hit exactly yeah but but so often it's like oh our targets are this this is you know what's this going to mean how is this going to change your life how much is it going to cost you and without saying if we don't take action or even if we do take action the world is going to warm so much we're going to see this impact we're going to see this impact we're going to see this impact this is why we need to act they need to up their game and and I like your line about they're making us more afraid of climate action than of climate change. You're exactly right. Great. Thanks, Anna. <laughs> We're going to quote you on that as as Darwin was saying. <laughs> so, so I think we've uh, I think we've given Artie enough of a hard time now. What what's up next, Anna? 
Well, I'm not kind of letting them off the hook <laughs> entirely on this next story, but um, the the question we were asking is, can technology save us? You know, and there's always there's always a debate in climate circles about is there a technological solution that can come along and and uh, you know, save the planet just in time. And this week, there was a lot of hype about a breakthrough in fusion energy. Do you know what that is, Dara? Uh, my my very, my layman understanding of it is like it's clean nuclear, basically. It's, 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 uh, producing. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what it is either, but it's, it's been the holy grail for a while so it was you know the Washington Post described it as a holy grail a major milestone decades long multi-billion dollar quest to develop this technology and the promise is that it will provide unlimited cheap clean power yeah so I think nuclear most nuclear energy now is is derived from nuclear fission which involves splitting atoms which creates nuclear waste whereas fusion it's by pushing and combining atoms together and apparently there's no waste so if it can be achieved it's incredibly clean but the problem is that it takes so it takes more energy to create this fusion than the actual reaction um creates but for the first time this week they got more energy out of I'm not sure if they did. They got energy out of it, but they had to point a huge, and this may be very technical here, they had to point a huge laser at it in order to do it. And apparently, apparently the the energy it took was actually more than the energy it generated. And it was at such a tiny scale that, you know, people are looking at it going, this is not going to be anywhere near what we need for decades because of the scale that it's at. Is it positive? Yeah, but it's being heralded in all the media as this, you know, major breakthrough, transformation. It's almost like, okay, we can stop worrying now because we've got this huge breakthrough. Um, it's all going to be great. But it's not, because it's not, it's not in any way scalable to do that. I'd have a bit of a different take, Anna, in that, I mean, I don't think there's any sort of climate silver bullets um, and saying that any one thing is going to be the solution isn't true. But my other issue with these kind of stories is that, you know, if you think of COVID and how we went into emergency mode and we had a vaccine within two years, if we were in climate emergency mode, we'd probably be pumping billions and billions into this and, you know, scaling it up as fast as possible and fi- and trying to find the solutions for it. Well, but see, but they will do that because this is a sexy new technology. But actually what we should be pumping billions and billions into is the the technology we already have. <laughs> so, you know, so Bill, Bill McKibben was writing in The New Yorker about this and um, he was saying, it's, you know, it's been described as a second sun. And he goes, hang on, we already have a sun. So maybe we could use the sun and the solar energy that we already have to solve our problems. Yeah. It's cheaper than it's ever been. We know how to do it. That's where we should be spending the money. Yeah, yeah, very true. So, yeah, so I was just a little bit, um, and, and of course, you know, coming back to how the media treat this, they love a big splash story. So this has been getting loads of attention, um, which is just a distraction from what I can see. Okay. 
one last story then. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's not it's not a good one, Anna. Oh uh, well, no. The SEAI, which is the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, brought their annual report out this week, which shows that you know the way you were always talking about we've got great commitments and plans in Ireland, Dara. Yeah. And we have a carbon budget that says we are going to reduce CO2 emissions by 4.8% per annum between now, actually between 2021 and 2025. Do you remember the carbon budget? Guess how well we did on that in 2021. Uh, I I don't even want to. (laughs) We did not reduce our emissions. Instead, they went up 5.4% in 2021. And you might say, oh, well, that's just because 2020 was low because of COVID. But no, this year in 2022, provisional data shows that emissions will increase by a further 6% in 2022. Yeah, so emissions are now up above 2019 levels, so above pre-COVID levels, so... For all our yeah. plans, for all our uh, commitments, emissions are going up rather than going down. Right, which means that to achieve that 4.8% reduction, we actually would have to reduce by about 10% in the next... What, we, what year are we in? The end of 2022. So we've got three years left. So you're talking about every time we miss a target, the we're... Basically, we're just depleting the budget and we have to reduce even more in future years. So we better get that nuclear fusion stuff going fast. (laughs) And then, meanwhile, the story that has consumed the nation this week, Dara. Is this our not climate story? This is most definitely not a climate story. And this is the story of the sad little homeless landlord. Yeah, yeah. This got quite a lot of coverage, didn't it, Anna? It did. So Only what, in Ireland what was would the, you so have... So what was the story? Well, it's nothing to do with the 11,000 homeless people that we have currently in Ireland. It's got to do with a poor young girl who innocently, accidentally became a landlord and now has found that she can't evict her tenant. So it's someone who bought a house, then went working overseas for a year. Uh, while they were away, they they rented out rented their place, out. and then they came yep. back and gave eviction notice. But real, but then the tenants realised that there it it was an invalid eviction notice, and now there's an eviction ban in place. So, um, so she can't. So the poor girl cannot evict her tenant. Yeah. Uh, Even though she actually said that the tenant doesn't mind being evicted. This might be the first time that word, that, that phrase was ever used. said they were on board with the eviction, wasn't it? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I think this was a really strange one in the context of how much coverage she got. Um, on every major news show. So go back to what the Tara Peterman was saying about how well RTE is doing in their coverage of climate change, I would guarantee you, and I haven't done it and maybe I will, if you look at how many minutes of coverage this story got this week, I I would place a bet right now that 
it was more than COP15 got. Yeah, I think it kind of shows maybe in general the sort of disconnect um, from the people sort of programming news that more people can relate, I would say, more Irish people can relate to paying expensive rent or struggling to find a place to live or struggling to buy a house than struggling to evict their tenants. I know, really. Um, And yeah, and you would just wonder why this story would get so much coverage and then would lead you to wonder about, you know, maybe more people want to see climate news. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe they do, Dara. They do, really. That's why they listen to us. And then some good news. We'll finish on some good news, Anna, with HSBC. Yes, so HSBC are the first major bank to say that they will stop bankrolling new oil and gas fields. And one of the first, and they're a huge global bank, and they have announced that they're not going to lend money to new fossil fuel fields anywhere in the world. That's great. Hopefully, you know, if if a couple of more banks, big banks follow their lead, then suddenly uh, exploring for new fossil fields would quickly become challenging and, and unviable. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the fact that they're doing it, it's a start and there's a lot of pressure. There's organisations out there that are working to put pressure on the big banks. Um, so they're hopeful that HSBC will just be the first one and that there'll be more to follow. And it's a start. Yes, it is. And a nice, nice to finish <laughs> this episode and Let's the season on a, on, a little, on a little positive very good. Okay, so before we go, Anna, any thoughts on uh, actions that people can take or maybe things that people can do over the Christmas period? Well, since we're all in the middle, or at least I am, well, I'm not even in the middle, I'm at the beginning of starting to think about Christmas shopping. Um, so instead of going out and buying a load of tat and plastic that nobody will really value, what about trying to do something environmental or climate related for your Christmas shopping. So Greta's The Climate Book by Greta Thunberg, which is not by her, but it's a collection of writings by different people, is a great resource and a really good book to give to friends and family. Yeah, I've heard a lot about it. I actually, my copy arrived there a couple of days ago. I haven't started into it yet. Excellent. I'm hoping my secret Santa is listening to this and might, you know take a hint do you want to just shout do you want to just shout that (laughs) and maybe the people in the house will hear it (laughs) they know who they are (laughs) um also colm o'regan's climate warrior book is uh is a great little read as well yeah absolutely and i see it's actually out on audiobook now and you can listen to it through borrowbox through your local library so you don't even spend money to do that very good sorry colm Oh, another book I would recommend putting on your list is the Owen Dalton's Irish Atlantic Rainforest. Yes, that's another one I'm going to be uh, getting oh, in the next little while. Oh, it's a fantastic, visit. fantastic read. And you will never think about Irish trees the same way again once you've read it. It's amazing. Great stuff. Um and also one thing you can do, this is going to be my first uh this is going to be my first vegetarian Christmas. Uh, so Ooh. I've been on and off vegetarian for quite a while, and I said I'd last year I'd do one more meaty Christmas. Uh, so I've been experimenting. So you stuffed your face with ham and turkey. 
uh, yeah, and I have been experimenting in the last couple of weeks with nice uh, vegan Christmas dishes. So oh, lovely vegan Wellington, and then a lovely, lovely recipe I got from Green Earth Organics: uh, parsnip gnocchi with Ooh. Brussels sprouts and hazelnuts. Uh, Ooh, really, really that nice. Sounds good. That's how I've been getting through my COVID isolation here uh, <laughs> last week, cooking all these, cooking all these bits, trying out these Christmas recipes. Um, so. So yeah, that sounds really good. That one, send that one on to me. I will, the yeah, we'll, we'll, knocky because that sounds great. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's really, really lovely. Um, so you know, try try to be maybe a little more plant based. Uh, this Christmas is another another way to go. Excellent idea, or as they would say in Dunleary, can't cancel. That what a silly idea that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw that this week. But <laughs> I did. <laughs> we're trying to finish on a positive Anna we're trying to finish on a positive we're finishing on a positive parsnip nookie that sounds positive <laughs> um, no seriously um, this is our last episode of the year Dara yeah we've made it to the end of another year uh, we've really stumbled over the line between illnesses <laughs> in the last couple of weeks and then we're recording this uh a lot later in the day than we usually would and uh, apologies to our listeners if it showed <laughs> this week um, but that is it for us until after Christmas um, thanks a million to everyone who has listened uh, to all our guests who have joined us for the news roundup uh, especially to Kira Daly who's not here today and Cara Carney who've been here for a couple of episodes this season and Anna who has been the season's only ever present thank you so much Anna uh, thanks Dara and also the other person who's been our stalwart is Rob our sound engineer who has been here for every episode making us sound much better than we are absolutely and uh, through through all the technical difficulties of of uh, the season yeah uh, so thanks very much Rob and a lovely positive note for me to finish on is that you are editing this episode rather than <laughs> me Anna <laughs> what technical difficulties Rob <laughs> um, um, but also Dara just to remind people as well we will be back in the new year and we have some really great episodes lined up and some great content coming so um, and some great guests who will be joining us so stay tuned for that absolutely um all right, that is it for the Climate Alarm Clock until Christmas. Uh, thank you so much for listening so far this season. Hope you have a lovely Christmas break, everybody. And we will chat to you all in the new year. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to share. You can find us on Twitter and Mastodon at The Climate Alarm. And on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Alarm Clock. Bye, Dara. Happy solstice.